the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Cross the Streams podcast, calling men in. Here we are in season four. First episode that I get to bring uh, Jeff Matsushita and Carly Rohner back with me. It's been a couple months. Um, I just could not find enough time away from film dissection to get these two great people on here with us. So I'm excited. Season ended yesterday, so we're diving back into some of these great discussions with them around healthy masculinity, manhood, social issues going on. So hello, everybody. Jeff and Carly, how are we? Yeah, that, right, exactly, exactly. So I want to give you guys time to talk about when we left last time, when we ended our last talk, you guys got to share some of the exciting things that you were working on, update everybody with either con- con- uh, continuation of those projects or other things that have really been you know, getting you energized and motivated at, at your work uh, with what you've been working on. Because everybody can just Google real quick Willamette Men's Basketball and know what I've been doing. Um, and you guys go ahead and brag about yourselves a little bit. Yeah, I can kick us off. Um, I, I think last time that we chatted, we were talking a little bit about we have some really great projects that are going on in the state. Willamette's a part of one of those to grow um, advocacy programs and programs for survivors that are happening on campuses. And folks are starting to wrap those up. Okay, awesome. okay. So we're seeing amazing things come out of that. Um, and then I think the other big change that we've had and that I am super, super excited about and kind of goes along with folks that are in the audience for this podcast and um, just that Kip that you and I work with is that I've recently changed roles within our organization. So mm. now I get to focus a little bit more on working with colleges, especially around prevention work. Okay. Um, and so I'm so excited for that. Yeah. And one of the focus. I hope for this year can be looking at athletics and some of the, the things that we talk about with calling men in and, and mm-hmm. helping campuses across Oregon be able to do more of that work. Well, you just here's what you do, Carly. You just send them a playlist of our episodes and everything's fixed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just tell them to press play yeah. and Jeff explains it all and we're good. That's <laughs> Jeff, how you doing? I think you told us about the barbershop conversations last time and you know you can update us on that or keep going on other great stuff you guys have been doing in Idaho. Thank you. Congratulations, Carly, on the new spot. Especially, you know, what you bring with the, the prevention lens and the experience on campus. That's Oregon's lucky. That's great. Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna be reaching out to you soon. <laughs> oh good, because this is all self promotion. So <laughs> Uh, you know, the barbershop thing has been fantastic. We spent darn near a year like insulated, and then the project is finally outward facing. So we've done a couple community workshops with the engaging Latinx men community. Okay. The project in Canyon County, Idaho. Uh, the barbershop conversations are just that place where we go men is ther- men seek therapy, both for their outward mm-hmm. appearance and then for their inward stuff. Um, and on that college tip, University of Idaho has been uh, – part of a mobilizing men grant they got through OVW and the last two years we've been able to go up and work with their athletic director it was their interim athletic director uh, before and now they just recently hired uh, actually the fourth female athletic director in the oh, wow. conference that's awesome so uh, 
but that's certainly one to lift up. Uh, but they, we've been working continually with their student athletes, um, and so we're looking forward to going back up and continue those one-time workshops with their student athletes, and the working with the men who are doing those conversations. So they actually had the idea to do a, a, a retreat. They wanted to take year one, the agenda that they've been talking with all the male student athletes and fraternity members, mm-hmm. and and revamp it. So we're gonna go uh, rough it in McCall, Idaho. Oh, okay. Um, and for a, a, a two-day get-together and spend time, you know, cooking, cleaning, but really in conversation. And so to start with the inward stuff and go outward with how they can continue their dialogue to bring real-life conversations and do something that I think that we need to do more with men is really get them by their hearts. Mm-hmm. So we can throw numbers all day, but this is a space in this conversation, just like the calling men in conversation for me, that we can just share experiences and, and what has worked, what hasn't worked. And that's where we're going to start shifting our community members and folks to see how they have a role in preventing violence. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the key for us. That's awesome. And Jeff, you, you mentioned therapy, and I wanted to give you thanks during the season we had, and, and we were chatting before we got on the podcast officially, you guys, um, about the season. You know, we had a tough experience, just win-loss record-wise with my team this year. Jeff, you started a coaching book club. Uh, where we read um, a fantastic book, and you made sure we had we had to call in on Sundays, and I missed a couple of them. But I know during a season like this, where, where the scoreboard is never our friend, um, that was really therapeutic for me. Uh, inside out coaching, a fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more to other people, but it really helped focus me on Sundays. Um, to that question in the book that talked about how does it feel to be coached by me. And in a season where the losses are piling up, it'd be very easy for me to morph and my staff to morph into a lot of things we discussed in the in our in our book club of just yelling and screaming and uh, you know the dictator type coach. And we really tried, you know, we're not perfect, but hey, the kids are struggling in this as much as we are. How can we make sure they're still feeling our arms wrapped around them in a tough season like this? So I wanted to thank you and also spread the idea of that because when I told other coaches in the league, like. Because I get the question, you know, coaches, we go do the weird handshake before games where you're like, hey, good to see you. Good luck. I hope I kill you tonight, but good luck to you. Those awkward conversations before the tip-off starts. But I did get to share that with a couple of my friends in the league because they'd say, hey, man, how you doing? How you holding up? And the typical, the macho answer is, you know, a lot of a lot of vodka or something like that that people like to share out there. And I was like, I tell you what, I'm in a book club. And they'd look at me like, well, Really? You're in a what now? And I, I was awesome to be able to share that and force myself to read read the chapters you assigned us and come into the conversations with the group you uh, put together. So it was a great idea for everybody else to listen out there. I know there's a lot of coaches, friends of mine that listen. It was really helpful. So I want to thank you for putting that together. The So let's move on a little bit because I want to give you guys time um to talk about so this is not a hot this is by no means a let kip put puff his chest out and brag but i did want to bring up in the context of the question um we we were fortunate enough and carly i appreciate your great quotes in a, in a national cover story uh champion magazine about the teams of men program uh we do at Willam with our basketball team mentoring manhood so it came out in the in the winter um and we were lucky enough to get a ton of great national coverage a ton of exposure and a lot of follow-ups a lot of emails calls texts and reaching out from coaches administrators parents about the program which is awesome which is part of why we do the podcast to spread awareness and give give people ideas and resources if they believe in some of the same stuff we do but i, I specifically wanted to talk to you guys because i was thrown aback 
um, by some of the responses from peers in my field or even on social media, which maybe this is like, hey, Kip, yeah, welcome. You get people figure out who you are. You're going to get some criticism too there, buddy. It's not, it's not all pink skies and rainbows if, you, if you're out in kind of the, the world a little bit. And we got a, some blowback in some posts, especially because of the season we had where people said, one, lots of what in the hell is healthy masculinity? Define that for me. And then maybe they should look at healthy basketball because they don't win any games. And those type of comments, you know, my players would bring them to me. They coach, look at this, look what they tweeted. Or, you know, I'd read it myself on an Instagram post or something like that. So I wanted to bring that to you guys. Um, and is that the norm, you think, in some of the, you know, when there's something positive, whether it's one of your projects that you've seen or people you've worked with or follow, when something positive happens, that immediate kind of, equal opposite reaction in the other way like oh well the scoffing at it because I think people on our side took it to be well you guys can't make baskets you don't rebound enough and that's probably because you're trying to be healthy wussy men go so please Carly go ahead I was just gonna say I'm just so sorry that that was part of the experience for you guys and your team because I think one of the things that comes up for us a lot in our work is the idea of um, when we're framing these and like trying to put out projects or doing trainings with folks is that idea of meeting people where they're at mm -hmm. and that doesn't always come across so well in social media right so yeah. when those folks commenting they're showing you where they're at right but they're just what I'm what I think is probably harder than maybe some of the things that Jeff and I are doing in person with folks is that you don't get that real time ability maybe to say like, Oh, like tell me more about that. What mm -hmm. do you mean by that question? Mm -hmm. And so like what I'm, what I'm carrying in that is one, like I hate that that had to show up for your team because the work that y'all are doing is awesome. And those are folks just showing to me like, Hey, this is where I'm at. I feel like this is uncomfortable work, which a lot of it is for folks because it requires some growth. Yeah. That right. Agreed. Jeff? Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a John Woods quote, right, about uh, basketball doesn't build character, it reveals it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that it is, it is really easy to shine a light on, on, a, on something when you're winning. Yeah. And, and you know, everybody gets along. You're a great coach when you're winning. Um, when things start piling up, I think that's the piece where the true color, that's where the character gets revealed. And I appreciate what you shared earlier. Um, about you know, the, the book book club we were at or professional development, however you want to masculine it up, that <laughs> you were willing to be reflective and 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 be intentional. Mm -hmm. You are catching some else of how you're showing up for your guys. Again, all I saw on the outward facing Twitter feed was that it was positive. You're still shining lights on things. Again, nobody wants to lose. Right? Um, so I think that some of that blowback you're catching from men is also that fear mm -hmm. and unsure. Um, somebody yesterday called it the, the Yankee syndrome. You know, it's really easy to love the winner. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we reflect this on, on the process to growth behind the doors? Uh, there's a quote from that movie, American Gangster, Denzel Washington's character. He's talking to his cousin. Um, and his cousin shows out with a bunch of fur and showing how much money he's got by the clothes he's wearing. And Denzel pulls him into a room and just chews his butt. And the quote is, the loudest one in the room is always the weakest. Mm. So I think to me, if his cousins have to show out, there's some insecurities being, being you know, trying to mask. Yeah. Just the same, I think, on, a, on any kind of social media platform. 
where we see it is, is that those insecure people are not really sure how to react. So they go with what works and what works is shame and shame. Yeah. And we as men, I think, you know, we do it to ourselves internalized. We also do it outward uh, when we're unfamiliar, uncomfortable, and unsure of what's going through. Yeah. Then we'll throw that shade because that's comfortable and that's how we assume we're going to go along to get along. In reality, I imagine most of the coaches you talk with, like you said, a book study uh, or professional development, you frame in the context of any damn coach or any player in this country, they are all putting time on their craft. Um, but I think the shift of it comes when we're looking to reflect about our social emotional background and learning. Mm-hmm. That's the piece that doesn't get the light shine on it much. So um, when people have those kind of hesitants that people are coming forward with, to me, it's just an insecurity and it's an opportunity, like Carly mentioned, of meet them where they're at. Yeah. Um, and ask questions. There's a brother I've been following on it's on Twitter, um, Iraq Arroyo Montano. And in an interview or podcast interview, he was talking about not just meeting men where they're at, but meeting where they're at and having that opportunity to model the behavior we are talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's in one piece, it's certainly meeting them there, but also living into that full power and being vulnerable, asking questions, making time to self-reflect, loving each other up rather than do the easy thing of throwing shade and shame. So yeah, uh, I really have been sitting with that piece of meeting men where they're at and living into my power of being a whole human being. So the fact that y'all were doing it while you were having a struggling season is more credit to you and the young men who are following you. Right. This is the path to go. So I, I commend you all for what you did. Right. Carly, I think you had mentioned in one of the earlier ones, too, one of the things when, when new faces or new people approached you for topics, help, resources, I think you had talked about trying to find out, similar, Jeff, to what you're saying, what is their entry point? Um, and I think I, we've tried to model some of that because we have on the flip side of this conversation great opportunities with other schools, other institutions, other programs that want our help in starting similar uh, character development pieces, and we've we've tried to keep in mind what you've talked about. Well, where are your group of men or your group of athletes, your group of women at? Because that doesn't just because you have the same goal doesn't mean your team is starting where my team is starting or where they started with you know even the the topic of toxic masculinity or healthy manhood or knowledge of sexual assault rates on campus. So can you can you give the audience some ideas of ways you've tried to identify where people are? When before you like, hey, here's a catch-all packet, a PDF that you, you know what I mean? Yeah, like here, just take this one. Yes, yes, this will work for you guys because it worked for ETSU yesterday. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the piece, honestly, in my work. And Jeff, I'd be curious for you too if this happens. But with us, one of the things that we get approached with is like, especially coaches, but folks who work on any, I think, sector or area in, in. college campuses or really in any other profession are just like, can you please just like give me a roadmap? Yes. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a ton of time to learn this. I know that it's super important, but like I can't, I can't be an expert in this field. This isn't going to be my next area of study. And so that's usually the biggest hurdle is actually getting folks to like take one step back and saying like, actually a one size fits all approach is not going to probably work for your team because Mm -hmm. it, leaves out that community input piece. And so usually with folks that's we're doing exactly what you said of talking to 
that if it's a campus, then we're talking to students or we're talking to other folks in the athletic department and saying, like, what are you seeing? What are your biggest concerns that are coming up for you? And also really trying to use, I think, a strengths-based approach of, like, what are you really, really great at? What is your team awesome at? Like, are you really wonderful at putting together these retreats and your students love them? Great. Let's capitalize on that. Let's go, like, use that as a structure. Are Mm -hmm. you really great, you know, at building relationships? whatever that looks like and so i think usually with folks we're trying to start like okay let's not like just do whatever willamette's doing because that's great that it's working for them and what elements will work best for your campus mm-hmm. while also thinking about hey coach like what are you really great at what is your team really excited about what are they really great at mm-hmm. um and trying to build it from a strengths approach I, I, I like that a lot because i think coaches have different strengths like there might be there's a coach out there that is way better on in this practice setting than I am, and maybe I'm better in the film room setting. So me trying to present some of this where I'm not good at it, you know, like in my, it would be, would be wrong. Uh, so I, I like that. Jeff, thoughts on that same, same question, finding entry points or finding, how do you identify where the guys are at when you start this? I think we, the, the entry point is not to say because you're a man, you're going to commit violence. Mm. And so for me, walking into a locker room, cold, that the first five minutes, it feels like that's the litmus test. Yeah. Just the the on the ground presentation piece. So an invitation to bring them into the conversation and it's, it can be problematic and maybe offline or another time to have that conversation. I really struggle with engaging men with that statement. What if it was your mother? Mm. What if it was your sister? Because um, that still is, keeps the root at, of, of men's violence at the hold. Only the only women that I would care about are the women in my life. The rest of them I don't. Right? So that still seems problematic. And it is often an entry point for me when it's cold. I have shifted my language, and I'm not saying, what if that were your mother? Instead, I ask the question, think about a woman in your life. Uh, hold her in your heart for this time we got in the conversation. Um, and then going forward, the conversation keeps touching back to ways that we as men can show up to make sure women in our lives are safe, mm-hmm. are, are free to walk at night, are happy, are, and that's the, whatever the rest of the R is, is for them to, the women to decide. Our role as men is to just listen better. Um, so rather than frame it from that idea like men are just protecting women, uh, the entry point is the ways we can show up because in a lot of ways we know that most men will never be violent. So how do we encourage those other men, the small percentage of men who are making the choice? How do we give them a nudge? How do we set a clear the boundary to be on this team or in this community? Begins and looks like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The along these similar lines, I, I shared with you guys a, a story to prep you for this part of the pod where and I think the error from my end was probably trying to use a a uniform process or uniform product for every single high school team that my seniors do a capstone project presentation with like okay this was successful in 2018 just change the logo to the high school's logo and we'll go into this next one with the same you know, toolkit that we're going to present to this team with. So my my lone senior this year, uh, Joshua Stubbs, gave a, a digital kind of presentation to a high school that was four hours away. So it was on a practice day for our program and their program. So the coach was really 
passionate about us presenting, even though we couldn't do it in person. So we, we, we did it for an hour. Josh was great. The kids were very respectful across, you know, you're going across flat screens and devices. You can only see some version of reflection and um, feedback from their faces. You can't really see their body language because of the webcam. Uh, but the next day, when the coach thanked us for, you know, the presentation, he mentioned that their follow-up conversation after our presentation of what Teams of Men is about and how we try, we strive to be more than the stereotype of, of what a man is, etc., he said his guys really wanted to push back on him and us. They were they didn't want to do it with to our face, you know, trying to be respectful. Coach, if we say things in the locker room just to each other, why is that bad? Why is it behind closed doors if we're we're just joking around? You know, so that whole, you know, free, our, our current president loved to use the word locker room talk. But I wanted to give you guys a stab at why it, explaining or methods you use to talk about this is why even you and your buddies in your, you know, your Honda going to lunch, telling stories or being toxic is still an issue, even outside of those four wheels and windows. Because um, the coach asked me for more resources and more ways to help further the conversation without us there. So thoughts? Oh my gosh! When I was reading that uh, note from you and kind of our pre, you know, getting ready yeah. that we have for the podcast, that was, I was just thinking. I was like, I wonder if I could count like how many times that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. See, I knew you'd be an expert on this. You've had the reps yeah. in this. Well, and then just like the the idea that um, I think. We, like Jeff was saying, if we go into a room and we're helping folks to understand that we're not here because we've automatically assumed that as if we're talking to a room full of men, like you are the problem. So I'm here to tell you how to not be the problem. Mm -hmm. And so when folks are like, I'm joking, I'm having a good time and trying then to mentally equate that with being a problematic person, if you don't view yourself that way, I think it's a lot of like cognitive dissonance. It's Mm. really hard to hold that. I'm a good person. I'm like, we're not harming anybody in the moment. So like, I don't want you to tell me that I'm an unhealthy or toxic person. Like that doesn't fit with who I think I am. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in our work, and I think we might've talked about it a few episodes ago, is this idea of the the pyramid of violence. And it's a visual, and I'm wondering if there's a way that I could adequately describe this for folks listening, but really the base of that pyramid is things like, um, rape jokes or like you're saying locker room talk stuff that kind of normalizes um behavior that even if we don't think that we would engage in that behavior subtly what we're doing with those jokes is saying like i'm okay with this or at least at bare minimum i'm going to make light of it and Mm -hmm. so the person in the room who maybe doesn't feel like that's that big of a problem gets more um, emboldened or normalized because the culture around them is saying like hey we've got a lot of folks in the locker room that are that think this is funny. So mm-hmm. what I'm doing is probably okay. And then as you go up that pyramid, it's more and more things, right? So it's verbal harassment, other forms of sexual harassment, workplace harassment, all the way up through sexual assault. And then kind of the end part is genocide. And it's just showing, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I would never think of myself on the far end of that pyramid, but at the base end, man, there's definitely been times where I've laughed at one of those jokes or I've been around folks in a locker room that are telling that and 
how am I then contributing to a culture that allows the step farther up the pyramid to happen? And so that's one thing that we try and help folks kind of walk through is like, yeah, your locker room talk, like in the moment is fine. And in a broader picture, if you, if these are values that you hold that you don't want folks to experience violence or have that be something that people in your life have to experience, um, then how, how can we start to reduce the ways that we as a, as a team or as a culture are upholding that. And so that's, that's one of the ways that we use to kind yeah. of frame it for so it's, I, it's not just on you being a bad person. It's kind of overall what we allow our whole culture to do by participating. So when, when you brought that up, I immediately went to, went to the interwebs and is, the, <laughs> is it the right one that's, it starts with biased attitudes and progresses up acts of bias, discrimination, bias, yeah. motivated violence, and then genocide at the top. Yeah. And there's a couple, I think, folks have done a really great job adapting this. So there's some ways that folks use it around like racial violence. Yes. Some ways that they use it around like sexual harassment or sexual misconduct and sexual violence. Yes. Um, but yeah, those are Okay. Really I'll be sure to share yeah. this when we post. I'll be sure everybody out there listening, I'll put some visuals up, especially on Instagram where we can do a couple different images. I'll, I'll put a couple of these on there. Uh, so you have, yeah. the, you have the reference point for sure. Jeff, thoughts? It's troubling that we have young men offended yeah. and, and put off that we're, we're calling them in and, and realistically if you start breaking it down what they're laughing at behind closed doors again to me that rationalizes they know they can't say this mm. comments in the presence of women right so they they obviously know that there's they're pushing up against some social norm that's not correct um, and they want this safe haven to be able to bond and joke and laugh at the root of it, we as men that are bonding over women and, and seeing women as less than and, and the, the genocide, the sexism, the, the rape, rape culture, we're bonding over somebody else's pain. And we're also giving permission to those underclassmen, folks who don't have as much power as some upperclassmen may. We're setting the stage for that to continue and sowing mm -hmm. in those seeds. And then we act appalled when a teammate or somebody uh, on the peripheral commits acts of violence and we can't understand why. Mm -hmm. uh, however, looking at the front end and, and Carly bringing that, that pyramid into it, or men can stop rape as a violence continuum activity. And on one end of the continuum is a, a rape. But the different acts that led up to that individual thinking it was okay to rape someone uh, vary. Um, Things like uh, ladies' night at a bar or, or cheap drinks for women, flying women with alcohol, objectifying women, um, calling women sexist names, using the word rape in flippant ways like, oh, we got raped tonight when actually, no, you lost the game. Right. Um, so just this normalization of, of violence, specifically violence against women and through our language, and it goes further away from the rape that occurred, but all those other early entry point, or early actions were entry points of belief and validity that, that a young man or someone could commit an act of violence as horrific as rape. Um, so we, we equate it to if you're a farmer, you got to till the soil, you got to add water, nutrients, and seeds, and sunshine to get the crop. So the crop is a sexual assault, but along the way we had different entry points, things that we were adding to that seed to become a crop. Uh, and that's the allowing those rape jokes or this normalization of rape culture permeate anywhere we go. 
behind closed doors is one of those those places where it really it makes me scared and sad. These young men, that that's what they have to bond is the punishment and, and the, the pain uh, of other people. Uh, I want to want to want to. I got a couple more follow ups to that, but we want to take a quick break. Uh, tell you guys about some things available on our Teespring website for some podcast gear, and we'll be right back. Quick break in the show to talk about our Cross the Stream podcast t-shirts, now available men's and women's sizes, three different colors, two different designs, available now via teespring.com, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G.com, or simply go to the Google search engine, type in Teespring plus Cross the Stream, and find our search results there, Cross the Stream podcast gear. now. All right, we're back. Um, Jeff and Carly, following up on our discussion about, you know, some of the respondents from a, you know, a high school group of young men, 13 to 17, a couple of things I wanted to ask and, and get your thoughts on. I thought about as you were both talking in terms of the, fre- there's freshmen and sophomores in this picture. And then there's seniors doing all the talking back and the responding to myself and the senior on my team. And I thought about just what both of you said in, in the view of that kid who's like, man, I, I can barely function here because I'm the young guy. I don't even have X amount of armpit hair that's going to get me laughed at in the team room. How am I going to speak up if I don't appreciate the stories being told or the things being said? Like, I feel like, not that they, there's, 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 a, you know, there's some courage involved, Carly. I know you, we've talked about that with you, but there's also some heavy consequences for that first stepping up and then add in your younger and physically not as mature as the people may be saying these things. And I can understand the dilemma or the, the, the choice of silence. Not that I want to excuse it, but I can absolutely see the slippery slope too. I just want to get out of here without anybody saying anything to me. And if I speak up right now, that is not a possibility. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, so kind of like strategies. Of like yes. And I think that's where I was yeah. myself and the senior were like, we totally understand that. We can express, we've discussed in our team settings, like you can expect this blowback. I don't think we've done a very good job and don't have the knowledge of approaches or diffusing. I, you know, Does that make sense? We know what's coming. I can see the bullet's headed toward me, coach. You're telling me what caliber it is. You're not telling me how to get the hell out of the way. Yeah. I wonder what a fascinating project that that would be with your guys around like coming up with what their responses have been maybe not in that locker room moment or maybe i mean if they've had those yeah reps, that's they probably had reps yeah yeah to compile them oh my gosh what brilliant language yeah and just being like here's what my reps have looked like to get me to this point um and like those conversations that they i know that they've had with folks like in the classroom who are like why is your team focused on this right like those yes kind of things. for sure what a I'm just thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to hear what they have to say around that. Yeah, um, yeah. One of, the, one of the things that we talk with folks about, um, and I think you're right, we've talked about we're in a point, I think, in history where folks are kind of examining how much do I actually have to lose by standing up, and I never want somebody to put themselves in a spot where it's like physically or like really emotionally unsafe. I don't, I don't want to be an advocate for folks um, doing that, and I think where folks are able to, once you're out of that space, if you're able to, kind of jotting down like what would my reaction have been mm. in the perfect moment, right? Like I'm yeah. curious if you all do this. I am that person who comes up with like the best zinger about thirty minutes afterwards, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, wish I would have said that. Like 
always having these. Well, I've got great like, plays that would have worked, but the game's been over for about 26 hours now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like that. I just wish I would have done that. Yeah. like in the moment we're able to think clearly and so I, I invite folks to use those moments as learning opportunities of like okay so I didn't do that the way that I wanted to next time what am I going to do and kind of like think of some strategies ahead of time so that's one way I think that folks can kind of get out of that headspace and be able to I think the other thing is to think about like what are we've talked about this too about like what are spaces within that team that they might have influence so if I'm mm. the youngest person but I'm a freshman and there's Presumably, other freshmen yeah. can talk about that. That's a good point. Because um, maybe I'm noticing, like, the guy on the bench next to me is also not laughing. Yeah. Or also looks really uncomfortable. And I had, um, I had an amazing student. Um, we did a training with, uh, I think it was about 50 athletes a couple of years ago. And one of the things that um, they did was kind of like break off in groups. And a similar question to this came up of like, what do I do if I know that other people aren't going to listen to me? And his story was around very similarly being in the locker room. And there was some stuff that was going on in general. And I think it was around like alcohol, that kind of stuff with the guys on the team that was yeah. really making him uncomfortable and he kind of banded with the other folks in his year I think he was a sophomore and was talking about like I knew I couldn't go beyond and really influence maybe the captains who were seniors who were leading this but the sophomores like we all just wanted to be able to stay on the team we didn't want to get kicked off we wanted to be able to play out our season and then it turns into it's you know Maybe there's three of us, four of us, and that kind of power in numbers, mm-hmm. I think, feels more comfortable to folks. Yeah. It goes back to what we've talked about a few times of, like, other folks don't know where you're at if you don't let them know. And so that I think that bravery comes in that first moment of reaching out to the guy on the bench next to you who also looks uncomfortable to be like, that's it okay with you? And mm-hmm. then kind of going through that. Um, and I'm really curious as folks who are really – you know, living in those spaces, if that's something that actually feels plausible. But that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the strategies that I've heard from students is, is that idea of like kind of creating partnerships within the team yes. to then elevate that. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff. Uh, that, that recruitment piece is huge. And, um, you know, my language around it is kind of looking around and uh, being, having been in those situations, even as a good adult, and the only thing I could think to say is, this is bullshit. <laughs> and, yeah. And that, and that's my recruitment tool. Like, my flag goes up. Yeah. And, and it's maybe not a lot. Like, the two times I can think of in those bystander moments. Um, one time I was uh, I was sitting at a, a red box with my wife. Uh, we, we had our, our oldest might have been a year old. She was in the car. And on a Sunday, we're standing in line, and a, a, a car pulls in, and it's a woman by herself, and a man pulls in, in another car real quickly afterwards, and and he gets out and is just yelling at her right before she can get out of her car. And we went from, like, nobody talking in this line at a red box to now rubbernecking the situation. And my wife was ended up behind me, and I was watching this all happen. And she put a knee in my butt like she was trying to box, like trying to get a rebound. <laughs> and so I went from the back to the front now. Um, and, and, you know, she was communicating to me. Yeah. I need to do something. I don't. And we, we talked later. She said, I didn't feel safe, but I knew you would think of something. Um, and the only damn thing I could think of was ask him if he was okay. 
And then I asked her if, if she was okay. Um, but when I was at least the one who put up my flag and said, this is bullshit, matter of factly, mm-hmm. a couple of the people in line, you know, after it was done, we're talking about it. So had we all stayed silent and watched it go down, I would have thought I was the only one that wanted that to stop. Yes. My wife. But just by making some, putting my voice out there and, you know, in that situation, it wasn't saying this is bullshit. Um, but in another one, it, I, I said, this is bullshit. And after the incident occurred, couple people came up afterwards and we connected. So to Carly's point of that, that student shared, um, I was able to build a bigger we um, by just saying something real quickly. And I appreciate that comment because you know, we got to realize that we're asking young young folks to step out and be bystanders to whatever program it is without considering, I think, respectfully, what social capital may be at cost for them. Mm-hmm. You know, social capital on the low end you know, some physical harm on the high end. Uh, yeah. Those are realities. So as we do our work, I think it's really important to humanize it and get reps, like you both said. Um, and how you, however you put your flag up to build a bigger we, um, it just comes by, you. I think, knowing you aren't the only one that thinks this is bullshit. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that. Um, I, I go ahead, Carly. Yes, there? for sure. Really wonderful if there's coaches that are listening. Is just if if they are uncomfortable with that as a dynamic, mm-hmm. normalizing that for folks. Right, we talked about setting an expectation with your team and kind of like what are our values going to be and how are we going to live those out. But I think even if you're not in those full stages yet, you can normalize that by saying like, if stuff is coming up for you, like our locker room is a space where we're trying to get together as a team to be able to go do what we're supposed to do, which is perform on the court, be mm-hmm. good humans, do all that stuff. I think that one of the things coaches could do is say like, if stuff is coming up in here that is like problematic to you, or, you know, there's something in here that you need to talk about, I, you can come do that with me and I can help. Mm-hmm. Have that inherent power, and if it's not in the room, I think talking to the captains and and if they can be those um, role models. I know not every team, maybe that's going to be the the dynamic. But if folks who are seniors, folks who are role models on the team, are willing to play that role and and utilize that social capital, I think I've met a ton of seniors or captains or folks on that on teams that are willing and wanting to play that role and so having that conversation both as coaches but then again as folks who are in leadership on the team would be awesome to help those folks who don't have that social capital for sure for sure um i'm I, i'm rusty at this podcast so i missed one break early we're going to take it right now because we actually have two ads that we run now guys we're stepping up. It's unbelievable. So we're going to take a quick break here. And then we got a big topic that I shared with you guys. It was a very current event uh, relative a couple weeks ago, and I think still plays out. So we'll be right back. Cross the Streams podcast is available now via SoundCloud or the Apple Podcast app. And be sure to follow us across our social media platforms on Instagram at CTS Podcast, on Twitter and Facebook at Cross the underscore stream. Okay, we're back, and this one is a little more, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, as much as 
at in the time, I guess it kind of flows in. I shared with you guys an article uh, when the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and the other nine people killed in Calabasas in the helicopter accident. Like two days later, I sent an article to YouTube because I thought of you immediately when I found it. Uh, it was written by Sarah Spain of ESPNW, uh, and it's entitled, Now is the Right Time to Remember Kobe Bryant's Life, All of It. Uh, and so it's a it's a fantastic read. I'll, I'll share it with everybody. Um, it has to do with how do you make sense or come to grips or even talk about Kobe, this um, you know this iconic basketball legend, who also had a very public, very infamous 2003 rape trial. And so you know me, I know my old self, ages one through 23 was a Laker diehard. And I took a break when they traded Shaq because I was on the Shaq side of the Kobe thing, Jeff. It's a whole nother thing. Uh, but I came back recently, LeBron did, and I'm a basketball fan in general. And I know I have huge Laker fans in my family, from my immediately family to my cousins, second cousin, third cousins. And there I saw someone post, it wasn't this article. It was on a Facebook thing and it was like, hey, you know, I'm kind of conflicted about Kobe, the man that everybody's saying. And people went at this person like, he just died. How dare you? So I purposely, Kane and I talked about, we don't want to bring this up right now. We want to give a little bit of time. Um, but then I thought about it. Well, this is perfect for the calling men in segment because it, it brings to me, even if we don't want to necessarily go through the Kobe part of it, we can't if you, if you two feel like we should. But it, I've talked to my team about, guys, is there a, no, a point of no return? with a person that has a transgression, and maybe this starts at a little bit of when we were talking about cancel culture a little while, a couple episodes ago, where, hey, you did X, or I heard you say this all the way through, you know, an actual criminal thing you did, to where you are no longer capable of putting good back in the world or being recognized for putting any amount of good back in the world. And I think Kobe was a perfect example case of this because... In the post-career life, he became an advocate for women's sports. He became an advocate for pushing uh, social agendas of equality. But as you, as all of us know, the numbers and even his post-trial comments, this thing in Colorado happened. So it was a really, I mean, it was a fascinating 35 minutes with my team talking about it. And I know this article Sarah Spain put up was widely read and either and led to many, many on-air and, and discussions. Uh, some people coming after her pretty hard and others joining the cause for her commitment. So just where do you guys want to start with it? How, how What do you think? Thoughts? It's a big topic. Uh, we don't have to make it about Kobe. It can just be about in general. Um, you know, I did X, so now I'm, what, forever awful? Or, yeah, you should be because that's X is terrible. I don't know. Hey, Kip, do you mind talking a little bit about, like, what the immediate reactions of your guys were? The the Kobe, well, freshman, ah, you know what? I think my guys are a, not a bad case study, but they know the numbers. They know the numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've taught them the numbers since they were freshmen of. They are less inclined to view it in the light of allegation. And yeah. they know the numbers are, you know, count the percentages on your hand of false like they know it that happened and so i think for them they so they're less about i mean i've had i had women coaches tell me oh he didn't do that that was just somebody chasing somebody famous yeah. 
And so, and that part was like, you know, eye, eyebrow raising for me. Um, but the guys then talked about, well, coach, I think you can make up for past things. You, he did enough to make up for it. And then other guys were like, did he? Did he just do that selfishly? And so I, I don't, I don't know. Like obviously, none of us know Kobe. I just know the the Mamba Academy and the things he was doing for NCAA women's basketball and the WNBA. So that it was a great. I don't think we ever ended. I think a majority of them were. I think he did X, but I think he was pushing towards redemption, and it's a tragedy in many ways, including that he didn't get a chance to finish that full journey to redemption. right like it's one of those things that none of us I feel like are given a good playbook of how to yeah, handle for sure. and I think uh, again being the non-basketball playing person on this podcast I will stick to the part around what I saw in terms of like not only social media but the conversations that I had afterwards were a lot of that how a person is a continuum mm-hmm. right like we don't behave the exact same way in every space that we're in in our life and so yeah I think the biggest piece that's difficult for folks is is wrapping our brains around people can do really terrible things and they can be really wonderful to some people in their lives Mm. or in some avenues right Mm -hmm. and so saying things like you know we're we're completely writing someone off we talked about um, bringing folks back into the community as a form of preventing recidivism or preventing the likelihood that folks would perpetrate violence against folks again in the future um and there's a lot of different things that are kind of safety factors for that but one of the things that really that came up around kobe and talking in our office and in other spaces was this idea that this was a black man that was excellent in his field mm-hmm. and was so important to so many people not i think only in basketball but in other places and so i think we have to recognize like it's a complicated legacy there's that component yeah and there was a great article and i'm going to find the name and i'll share it out so you all can share it out but one of the things that they talked about and i think that really fell in line with sarah's article was um when we don't kind of look at the entire truth of someone's legacy we're cheapening it and we're turning Mm. folks into myths Uh rather than learning from their legacy and being able to do that. So while he can be a, a person that was a champion of his daughter's sports and women's sports and trying to do these things, he could also be somebody who's really harmed folks. Uh-huh. And how do we how do we balance that and look at him as a human and not a myth? Uh, and so that's, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, and so I think that was, that's been really one space of somebody who didn't grow up idolizing him because just... Yeah. Honestly, basketball players weren't my idols as right. a kid. That That is a piece that I think is just important of all of us. I, I think that there's things that folks do where as a population or as people, we might be like, I never want to talk to that person, have contact with that person. And that's fine. And when they do great things, I think it's worth recognizing that we have behavior that crosses a spectrum mm. of um, ways that we interact with folks for yeah. good and for not so good. I think does that that speaks to like the last line in this in Sarah's article to decide for ourselves whether to remember the man he was or just the man we wanted him to be. Is it? Yeah. Just, yeah. Jeff. Uh, growth is it is inevitable. Um, you know, be it, be it change, the slow pace of change, or the the amazing speed of transformation, growth is happening. Um, so I think allowing you know the narrative. I, I appreciate you know Carly. Complexity, certainly adding in the different layers of identities, you know, race being one, 
class being another, you know, and, 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 and so those different identities, um, who, who, who Kobe was able to touch and speak to was an entire generation and, and damn near the whole state of California and beyond and the act did occur. Uh, so we're not a single story. Kobe, mm-hmm. Kobe grew beyond 2003. Um, however, unfortunately, what we, we sometimes don't talk about is how that altered her path mm-hmm. as well. Right. And, and in the Sarah Spain piece it touched on, there were a couple live links that I thought did a great job. One article specifically was talking about after Kobe retired. And, and at that point, having the conversation and how do we remember this this individual um so i think holistically and you you were vulnerable leading into it kim was saying you know ages one to 23 mm-hmm. you were different than now in your early 40s and you know, I, I can certainly vouch for that my own change in behaviors so we're not a single story um and the influence that kobe has and, and what he was doing and the complexities for women's sports. I had people in my office who, who know about the basketball life and, and my love for the game. And they were, they were expecting me to be having a really hard time. They're like, how are you doing with Kobe passing? Mm-hmm. And, and growing up a Laker fan, I, I was really more about, at the time, I loved Nick Van Exel and Eddie <laughs> Jones. Yeah. So Kobe was some young guy. You know, but in that ASA man game, I, I never believed Kobe in the sincerity of what he was putting out after 2003. Mm. Um, and I didn't appreciate how he was acting in ways before the, the sexual assault occurred because I was trying to coach fifth and sixth grade boys and high school boys, and they were mimicking the activities he was doing off the court and on the court, the braggadocia, mm-hmm. the, the self-support stuff. I... I always struggle with that. And then after the, the apology tour that came on, came after the Eagle Colorado incident in 03, um, I, when, I know we weren't going to talk about Kobe, man. That's I all right. But, uh, I, the part I was stuck with at reading Sarah Spade's piece was um, the, the statement that was read after the criminal charges were dropped. Mm-hmm. Kobe's attorneys read that statement. And it was three paragraphs long. But after reading it, it, it clicked in my head of this dude knows he did it. Mm-hmm. In, in the statement of after listening to um, evidence brought forward and her lawyers and her personal testimony, I can understand how she did not think this was a consensual act. Um, to me, that was an omission of guilt. And, but it also pointed out the piece bigger than Kobe was for myself as a man, I really didn't value women's experiences or voices Mm -hmm. until it came from a credible source. Like in Kobe's case, facing four years to life in prison, a judge on a bench, high paid lawyers, and her testimony of when she was breaking down and crying. So she was acting like a victim of rape, quote unquote, should. And our society thinks that somebody who's raped has to act. Only with those things lined up did Kobe then have the empathy to say, shoot, I bet she didn't see it the way I saw it, and maybe something happened. And I think that speaks to the bigger piece, the way we have raised Kobe and other young men to not value and believe women, that it only took those instances of credible sources 
that don't finally hear what she was saying. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a larger scope of us as men. And when we're coaching, fathering, talking with men in our lives, um, goes back to the model behavior of being able to, to empathize, but also give, even on our phone conversations around the Inside Out Coaching book, being able to name female reporters. Mm. Like, I, I realized I, there were only a few handful I could name. I, yes, um, I remember that. We all were like, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Miles Texas, so after that conversation, I have tried to, to pivot a little bit and listen to more podcasts that have women. And so, one, I would, the episode in prep for this conversation um, was from, it's called Burn It All Down. Um, it's a group of five sports reporters who all identify as women. And it's episode 144. The title is Reckoning with the Life and Death of Kobe Bryant. Mm. And in it, they did, a, I think, a fantastic job of not just focusing on Kobe as the man, but looking at who else was lost, particularly Gianna, and the, the ramifications that her death had with the UConn women's basketball team, certainly her teammates with the, in the Mamba Academy piece, um, and, and the USA women's team, just the ripple effect of what they saw in her and her potential and her gifts. Mm-hmm. So we focus so much on, on, on Kobe, the other eight people that lost their lives as well. And I think the, 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 the folks that burned it all down did a fantastic job of, of looking at the issues of race uh, and certainly gender. I'll be, yeah, I'll be sure to link that too. So we, we see you guys are giving me all kinds of content here. We got the pyramid of violence to share out visual. We got that other podcast. Carly, I, I know you and Jeff, I know you've done some of this work too. I still find some of the big, I don't know if leaps the right word, but we, there's been current events never fail to provide us with uh, things to discuss and things to review not just with my team, but, you know, at home with my wife and our kids. But there's been, this year has been an unfortunately large number of incidents with the major D1 football and basketball teams and uh, rape allegations and things happening. And it's amazing, and I screenshot it and share it with my team, how many people want to use the phrase, let's wait for the facts to come out and then immediately go into the story sounds shady. Her story sounds fishy. So it just comes back to the piece that we've all, and I know you guys live in this world of supporting victims, believing victims. I mean, that part like that, if anything makes my blood boil more, it's those comments. Like, well, we got to wait for his, you know, that that whole part of it is so maddening, but so ingrained, especially in you know, sports idol worship, that that's a, you know, that's a freshman year thing in our program. But I know something, Jeff, you mentioned, like when I was, I mean, I believe OJ was innocent for God's sake when I was a teenager. You know, that's how ridiculous it can be. But, you know, things for people to either like to tear down that, not that we don't believe in like finding out truth for sure, but the fact that people cloud over and only want to hear the accused side of it and not like the victim can absolutely be true right away, be telling the truth. Yeah. Jeff, you had a great piece on this, I think, when you were talking about a couple episodes too, um, or a couple episodes ago around um, the barriers that folks experience 
to sharing their um, to sharing their experience. To, and I'm thinking specifically of survivors, like what it takes for folks to be able to come forward and say, like, hey, these are the things that happened to me. And I'm curious if you'd be willing to share a little bit more around, like, what is that like for folks when they have to come forward and say, these are these are the things that have happened to me, knowing this is a D1 player that, you know, is doing great things on the field, this, right, like some of those kind of things. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Thank you. I, well, actually, and I'm going to stay on topic with the Kobe piece, if y'all are okay with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, I, years ago, um, it was, I think it was on 2006 or seven. I was at a sexual assault conference in Arizona, and one of uh, the survivor, her attorneys was present and talking around sexual assault criminal cases. Um, Somebody in the audience had known what she was doing, and so after the workshop, a few of us went up and just said thank you and asked how she was doing uh, because the, the the criminal case got dropped. And it was now moving into the civil, right? It moved into the civil piece and the case was done. So she shared with us probably almost three hours of talking about the case and working it from her end uh, with her and her small team um, with that specific case. And a lot of that fed into the narrative I think you were talking about, Carly, that I shared of listening to women and realizing the barriers are coming forward. But with this particular case in Eagle, Colorado, this young woman was 19 years old. Um, after the, after the rape occurred, she got put through the ringer and, and I won't do it justice, but the women on the burn it all down podcast talked about, um, and the Sarah Spain article, actually one of the links talked about how much she had to change, but you know, just in a, in a brief note, she relocated the woman in there in, in Eagle, Colorado had to relocate four times because her name and her image were released by Kobe Bryant's attorneys during this, one of the first court hearings. Um, there were, she was receiving death threats from people all over the country who knew her home address. Um, they knew, we knew a lot about her because the lawyers dug in. We knew about her sexual history. We knew about some issues of mental health that she had been seeking help for. Um, we also knew that she had aspirations to be a singer on America's Got Talent. All those three pieces were used against her to discredit and break her down. What we knew of Kobe Bryant was given up by Kobe Bryant. He shared that during a, a detective interview in Eagle, Colorado, he shared that his teammate Shaq um, was stepping out on his wife and he, because Kobe's made the statement of damn, I should have paid these, quote, off like Shaq does. Mm-hmm. The detectives asked a follow-up question, and Kobe spilled about how um, he'd learned from Shaq he should just pay off women he sleeps with rather than worry about court cases or these allegations. Um, we knew that Kobe Bryant shared other women that he engaged in rough sex with, is what he called it. Um, and he gave phone numbers to the detectives to call, right? So these things that we knew about Kobe were given up by Kobe. Rather, the the, the person who brought the claim forward, the young survivor, she got just ran through the mill. And it was all to discredit her and make her look a, a shred that she was maybe not telling the truth. 
And the interesting part, like we put all the proof of evidence in the criminal system on in, with sexual assaults on the person who was harmed. They mm-hmm. have to be the ones to bring forward all the evidence that it did occur. And, and that just seems to be rather unique in the criminal system where other court cases, specifically person against person crimes, if I can get robbed, I don't have to give up a lot of information that the police are supposed to come and do their job, which is a collect stories, look at investigation, look at evidence, and look for clues. The point of who it is, I don't have to give the name of who I think the suspect is. That's the job of the investigators. However, with sexual assault, we often put the burden on the person who was harmed. Um, with young men, we often talk about what a rape kid exam actually entails. So we we, we go through a, mm-hmm. a little bit of the time frame of, of that they could be four to six hours that person's body is their evidence. It's you know, and we just lay it out of what somebody who brings forth a crime has to go through after just making that really courageous say of, hey, I was hurt and go to report it. So all those lead into why we know most people will never report sexual assault crimes to police or to anybody. Uh, building in the narrative, we walk into a room talking with men, how they talk about women says a lot and if they are open and and empathetic in their comments they may receive may be seen as somebody who is is helpful and that they could share the story with to get help so i think like the young men on your team i would imagine in the circle of when some kind of assault happens people know that the young men on your team at least know the baseline resources to get Mm -hmm. on campus or the community Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we make this shift in the narrative that we can empower specifically young men that most of them are never going to be violent but we can do our damnedest to at least know the bare minimum of the empathetic and know where our resources are in the community if somebody asks for them yeah yeah can, can, can i build on to that yes Jeff? absolutely I appreciate that so much of like what I was hearing you say about that there were so many different elements that come up for folks when it comes to reporting and so Kip to answer your question of like what do we do when folks are like I just want to see the facts play yeah. out right I think it's acknowledging like there are a lot of different dynamics happening right that person's livelihood their hopes their dreams the medical forensic collection um you know having to go be up against somebody as a young person who is beloved by the entire country, or at least by folks who play basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that is um, no small task. And so just thinking about like for folks coming in and trying to build some empathy around, this is all of the elements that are up against a person when they go to, when they go to make a report or say like, I need some help. This thing happened to me. Um, and I, I think there's two other things when folks bring that initial, like, well, we just need to see the facts play out. We just need to see what's happening. There's a couple of like social psychology things happening there for mm-hmm. us. One is we don't want, I think, as humans to, and not even I think, we have a lot of research showing that humans are wired to not be vulnerable in mm-hmm. certain ways, especially not socially. And so when we're saying, like, I want to see the facts play out, sometimes what I'm hearing from folks, especially like in that example of, um, 
female coaches or folks saying like, oh, like that person was just out for publicity or, oh, maybe they like, we just need to see the facts because they were probably just wanting attention. We are oftentimes in those situations thinking about what would I have done differently to keep myself safe? Or I never would associate with people who act like this. And this is one of my heroes. So this can't be mm. because if they act this way, then how do I act? Yeah. And so I one of the things I hear in that is folks having some or wrestling a little bit with that idea of either I could be unsafe because maybe I've done some things similar to that person who was saying that they were harmed. And so then what does that say about me and my vulnerability or what does it say as somebody who loves this person who has been accused of harming somebody that I would idolize someone like that. And so I think it's more psychologically comfortable for God, us to yeah. distance ourselves. Great point. Right? Yeah. And just say like, this isn't it. And in doing that, I think once we have some recognition of that, then it's also a responsibility to all the things Jeff's saying of we need to then do some recognition of what that really means to get, justice, help, healing, whatever it is, all the barriers that come with that, and that we're, we're adding to that when we are just requesting to let the facts play out in court, which is, like just said, a system that is really built on the responsibility of the survivor coming forward and being able to present um, the case in a way that's so different from how a lot of our other judicial processes go. Um, mm-hmm. We just had, we were talking about this at home. Um, we just had a, a bunch of break-ins in our neighborhood to people's cars and I called to make a police report and it was about five minutes and it was just kind of like, yep, this has happened. This is what was stolen. Uh-huh. And at no point. They didn't go through your, like, your Instagram to check your credibility. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no point. Like the main question was, was this your car? Yes, it was my car. Like, right. So I have ownership, power and property rights to that. And we don't, do that with humans a lot yeah. of times in these cases and so in no point in that five minute conversation did the dispatcher want to know anything other than wasn't my car and then kind of at the end i said by the way i have video of this did you want that and oh. they were like oh yeah that'd be great and so it the kind of onus of that was yeah we're gonna come out and check this out so different from mm-hmm. sometimes how we respond to these and so just once we recognize that cognitive dissonance being able to step in and help folks by saying like we're just going to start by believing folks when they come forward. And then if it plays out from there and it's not, it's in that very small 2% of folks who bring forward false claims. Great. Like we'll, we'll address yeah. that. Then. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, you guys are fantastic. Great. Oh, you know, I, I appreciate it. I knew you guys would have a lot on that topic. Uh, it gives me a lot of tools going back into the room later this spring with our guys to further some discussions, but we want to keep this hey, monthly. Now. In, yeah, man. go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and I appreciate that cognitive dissonance piece, Carly, you bring it in and, and what, sorry about your car getting broken. <laughs> it's no big deal. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, but that, as a teaching tool, maybe, uh, this is counter to what we were talking about earlier about one size fits all. Not certainly selling it for that, but uh, Idaho State University, um, we went down for a conversation with their male student athletes, and they wanted to do a film discussion where they wanted to watch and then have a discussion about the film, uh, the PBS documentary Roll Red Roll, which is on Netflix as well. And they had a fantastic discussion guide that the crew, the, the, the film creator and, and a team of people put out and, and it, we set aside three hours. So granted it's a large chunk of time, uh, but we watched the movie 
and we broke it down like we would break down film almost. Mm-hmm. There were planned points in the film where we stopped at three different times to check in, ask questions, look for clarity, and, and do some some group conversations. So it broke up the hour and, and eighteen minute film into you know smaller discussions. But what I found was that they talked about in the film going through four hundred thousand text messages and phone records. Um, and just looking at that cognitive dissonance, as you mentioned, Carly, and the victim blaming that occurred at the beginning of the film, they put together pieces from a local radio DJ talking about um, how this could have happened and how women lie to, at the end, they, you know, they, they, they found out a lot in the community. I'll, I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen the film yet, but in that same game, they just looked at the progression of everything that this young person had to do to be believed. But throughout the film, there were a lot of uh, these two young men's teammates who were trying to call him in, trying to say what they were doing was wrong. But at no point did they have the muscle to go beyond just saying it was wrong. They didn't have the next practice rep of interrupting their behavior with some physical interaction or bringing in authorities, either adults, teachers, coaches, law enforcement, to the situation to help remedy the fact. Mm-hmm. So I, I as a teaching point, I thought the Roll Red Roll film was fantastic. Uh, looking at, and then at the end of it, the conversation was around accountability. How do we welcome these two young men back into our circle? Because uh, we know they're coming back. Nobody's throwaways. So that was, a, to me, one of the more powerful conversations um, of how do we bring people back to the fold and what do we set the bar at and expectations for them. Roll Red Roll. Found it. Netflix did. It'll be on the must-see guide. Have to. <laughs> uh, but I want to make sure we get this back on a monthly, so I'll be in touch, guys, after the, we wrap this up to make sure we schedule out. Great time having you all, as, as always, sharing your knowledge um, and look forward to our future discussions. Thanks so much, Kit. Thank you, Paul. This was fantastic. Looking forward to next month. Content Reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.